Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. I am Rick, and I'm here with Julia Minamata, the designer of the upcoming adventure game, The Crimson Diamond. Uh, hey, Julia, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Rick. How are you? Good, good. Good to uh, good to finally hear you. Yeah, it's awesome to get you know get a voice to that profile pic. So, um, yeah. So, tell us about the Crimson Diamond. You've been working on this a bit. I played a little bit of a. Uh, a privileged demo that you sent me and uh yeah so far it's looking pretty good obviously there's a lot of placeholders a lot of uh, uh work in progress but it's uh you know definitely going in the right direction a lot of uh a lot of playability to it so it was actually pretty fun what i did play um tell us a little bit about uh about the game cool i'm, I'm glad you liked it <laughs> well i've been working on the game for about four years I think in fact I haven't even been keeping track but I whenever I post something new occasionally someone will say hey I noticed you've been working on this for the past four years and I'll say to myself oh my gosh it's been four years so <laughs> yeah so on and off really uh, and because it's sort of my first go around with, with with making a game I was sort of you know going in all kinds of directions with it and trying to figure out how to make stuff and how to do all this stuff and so I've really directed myself into making that demo for the past, ooh, maybe a year or so. I mean, with all the assets, yeah, with all the assets I mm -hmm. generated up until that point. And, and yeah. were you, are, are you a designer? Like, did you have experience making a game before? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, really? no, 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 no. Um, what happened was when I was, I'm an illustrator, and what happened was, this was completely all by accident, actually. This this, this was just a complete fluke that I started this because I had seen a, an article on, on the interwebs about, it was called something really clickbaity and, and angerism, and it was called, you've been doing your line art all wrong in Photoshop. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> And okay, so for me, okay, so I've been working in Photoshop for at, at that point that I seen that for maybe 10 years, I guess right. every day of my life, basically ever since college. And so I'm thinking now there's no way I'm, this is ridiculous, right? So of course, I click on it and read it. And oh, you know, so so I have been just a little bit doing it a little bit wrong. So, you know, so they well, made some pretty good points. <laughs> They made some great points, and I going forward, I do my stuff how this person said to do it. And the thing about it was, there there was there's a brush tool in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a brush tool I use all the time. People are very familiar with the brush tool in Photoshop. But unbeknownst to me, for using the thing for ten years every day of my life, was there's something called a pencil tool. You know this? Um, I do recall seeing a pencil icon. But I, I usually mostly just, I'm a Photoshop cut and paster, so I don't really do a whole <laughs> lot of creating. Okay, well, the pencil tool, this is very important. The pencil tool is, an, is a non-aliased, no anti-aliasing on this brush. Right. So what that means is the, the actual paintbrush, they, it's an aliased brush. So what that means when you zoom in really close to it, you can see kind of a blurriness where it's smoothing, turns and corners out. So it looks really nice. Yeah, that's right. Know, from far away, but up close, it just looks like a mess, blurry mess. But with the pencil tool, it's, it does just complete, sharp, 90 degree angle lines when you really get in there close and look at it. So, yeah. And like, so the, like, to, like pixels, basically. Yeah, basically exactly, exactly pixels. So what I realized is when I was setting up my illustration work, I'd color it digitally, and it looked fine when you print it and all that, but if you use sort of that anti-alias line when you're generating art, it can look blurry. 
if um, it's sort of if it's too low res. I mean, I never really ran up against that problem, but they were saying you should use the pencil tool when you're when you have your lines that you're going to be then coloring because it will look nice and sharp. And the kind of well, the kind of art that I do is not really painterly, so you don't want that smoothing. Right. So when I, I, I started doing that, the lines would stay nice and crisp, and you know what you're getting. So when I saw it, it, it zoomed in. I saw the blockiness, and I thought to myself, hey, you know, that does look pixely kind of. And so I opened up a new document that was 320 by 200 pixels, which is the aspect ratio of those old Sierra games. That's and I started right. playing around. Yeah, I started playing around with it, and I thought, oh, because I've always liked that pixel art, but I never really knew how to create it for myself. I thought... I needed something completely different. But when I found that pencil tool, I realized, hey, I can actually do this myself. Yeah, so I started making little character portraits and things like that. And it it sort of grew from that where I wanted to make a room. So, okay, well, I want to make a room. So I'm going to look at Colonel's Bequest and I'm going to see what, how to make a room with, you know, with that. I started making one room and then I made another room. And then I thought it'd be cool if I could connect those rooms and make a little character walk around. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of led me to Adventure Game Studio, which, and then that's kind of how I got started. Okay, and and you've been pretty. You, you've also therefore taught yourself how to use Adventure Game Studio. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what I what I found is first of all, there I found some YouTube tutorials. So mm-hmm. there's a guy called Dens Ming. I don't know D E N S M I N G. He has about a forty part series on how to sort of make a starter adventure game in Adventure Game Studio, and that was super helpful. And I just sort of followed along with that. And it's because it's made for adventure games. It already has. It's all set up by rooms and characters and sprites and everything. So it had an architecture that I could kind of draw from. And I could understand what I was making when I was making. Because you think of those other Unity or whatever other kinds of (laughs) engines people use. And it's just very, it's very open, obviously. And that's a great thing when when you're making just about anything. But when I'm making an adventure game, I wanted something very specific. And I wanted something where I wouldn't have to worry about, I don't know how to program a save game function. Mm -hmm. Because I I still don't know how to do that. But this thing has all that baked in, which is is super helpful. Now, let me sort of concentrate on doing the artwork and light programming. Yeah, that's really cool. It's uh, it's actually um, intuitive enough that it, it comes with a lot of that sort of built into it. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Uh, having played a little bit of the game, it's very obviously um, very inspired by the Colonel's Bequest and uh, the Laura Bow games. Mm-hmm. What what made you choose the Colonel's Bequest to to kind of uh, I guess model after? Is that would mm-hmm. would that be correct to say it's modeled after? Oh yeah, modeled after, inspired by, very strongly by. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly it was I loved the art in the Colonel's Bequest. Uh, the most, the, the, to me, the most beautiful EGA art that Sierra ever made. Douglas Herring made the art for it, I think, at least most of it, if not all of it. And the light and shadow in that game, the way that dusk is portrayed outside in, in, the, in the plantation grounds, Yeah. I just can look and look at that stuff, the, the, the dithering and everything was so beautiful. And just the, the type of art that it was, too, is an old creepy house with the furniture and everything it kind of looks like a bit of a dollhouse type of look and and so that kind of really inspired me to go with that as well it's a text parser adventure game i don't know if we mentioned that yet but i (laughs) I Uh, no i didn't (laughs) Uh, i i took that for granted and didn't inform anybody who's listening um but yeah it's it's very much yeah it is very or uh, modeled after the colonel's bequest down to the text parser yes yes and the text parser uh, I wanted to do it because I do feel that that type of interface 
it's just more immersive. I don't know why for me that it is. It kind of gives the illusion you can do anything. You can't, obviously, but it gives me the illusion. And I think other people also have that same feeling. And for me, with those types of detective mystery games where you're asking people questions, you you don't want to have a menu of things to ask necessarily. I feel like there's a process in discovering the right things to ask people and mm-hmm. finding new information. And I feel that it's lost in a dialogue tree or dialogue selections. And and so I wanted that investigative aspect to it. And I feel generally adventure games are very much like you're being a detective, even if you're playing a King's Quest type of game where you're trying to understand what's going on and trying to solve problems and, and all that. So I feel like that mechanically it works as a mystery game. And I also just wanted to kind of make a mystery game. Because right, cool. Quest, yeah, because yeah. because I've never really been on any one particular side between uh, parser and point and click, but I do agree and definitely see the point that for something like a detective game, something very investigative, uh, it really le- that format would really lend itself to a parser a lot better than a point and click because you kind of have to investigate. You have to really you know you have to earn every clue mm-hmm. that you get rather than just click around the screen. So I do agree uh, that is definitely probably the, a much better immersive format for a detective story. Yeah. And I do understand that it it is, it's a bit of a learning curve and it is tough to use, which is another reason I kind of like the way Colonel's Bequest did it because it's not necessarily a tough game. It doesn't have impossible puzzles really. That's you right. can bungle your way all the way through to the end. And I want that to be the same type of type of, designed for my game where I want you to be able to bungle your way through the end, see the story and the characters and what happens, but the ending that you get will be dictated on how well you understand those characters and what what actually went on. Mm-hmm. So, because I said like before, <laughs> I'm not good at these games. I was never good at these <laughs> adventure games. So I didn't want to make a game that was hard to play. Right, yeah. You know, so... Uh, especially with the text parser. I understand text parser is, is a tricky beast and it takes a lot to even just get through and open a door or ask someone about something. So that part too. The thing that uh, amazes me about this is not so much the user experience of a text parser game so much as uh, you as the designer making a text parser game because you have to program all these various different options and ways to say the same thing and uh, what what are people going to be looking at? What are people going to try to interact with? Uh, you know, you have to supply the dictionary and the... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the vocabulary that pe- that you expect people are going to use, that people are going to try to use. And that's, uh, if anything, I would imagine that's kind of why point and click really became the chosen interface because the designers wouldn't have to deal with all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I look back at how the old King's Quest and Space Quest text parser games are designed, and there are videos where this guy talks about how they design those games. It is, I could never do what they did back in those days with their limited resources. There's only because I have Adventure Game Studio, I can actually make a text parser game that is playable because they were doing indexing of dictionaries and words and numbers, and it's just like alchemy and wizardry and magic mm-hmm. to me. So the, the parser, I don't know if you noticed this, I didn't want to tell, when you, when I sent you the beta for this, I didn't want to tell you too much about the features are, that were in the game because I kind of wanted to see what you would kind of figure out on your own and what you would use and not use. But there is, did you see the activity log and the parser log? Um, I, I saw that they were options or features rather. Mm-hmm. I, I did not really play around too much with them. Yet You have to realize that I am a huge fan of Colonel's Bequest, but I sucked really bad at it because I am the worst <laughs> at 
figuring things out. Like I, I got almost the lowest score possible without being actively bad at that game. So, I mean, it, I went through the entire game the first time without ever using the monocle as a magnifying glass <laughs> and just wondering when this thing was ever going to come in handy later. Uh, and it never happened. And, you know, the game was Apparently. like, uh, you know, you could have used that monocle yeah. to actually like learn about what's going on. So, um, no, I, I, my detective skills are horrible, even into uh, game features. I saw right. that those things are there, but I was sort of like, eh, I'd rather see how I can take a shower. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you spent about five hours in the bathroom, apparently, which I did clean up, by the way. I spent the last few days getting the bathroom all ready for you, and Spacebar now gives you the, you know, the whatever you last entered into the parser. Oh, excellent. Not just not just the F3, the Spacebar. So, yeah, yeah. I've been including that. But so the... The activity part, the activity log and the parser log. What those do, if you do turn them on, is it will track what you enter into the parser. Right. And so, so if my hope is that people can send me that log and they can open it up in clipboard or whatever or notepad and they can see what what is in there and it's just everything you enter into the parser that is not recognized by the parser. That's oh. what the parse the parse log is. Uh, so in case people are trying to find words for things, I'll see what they attempted and it that and didn't work. And mm -hmm. the activity log is more like a kind of general overview of it when they enter different rooms or when they save the game or load the game or quit. All that's like get sort of a picture, hopefully, of how people are playing it and where, you know, what words they need to add or, or and things like that. But the thing with, with finding the right word in the text parser is I'm trying to, when I'm writing it, I want when you look at some when you look at a room or you look at something, it should hopefully supply you with the proper words to use in the parser too. Right. Because I think I've seen that somewhere. Somebody was at a Cascade Quest was do, did that where you could actually, as you were typing in words, it could uh, it was giving you recommendations. Yeah, uh, well, the Snail Track ones for sure. Phil Fortier has the Snail Track games with a predictive text parser, which I couldn't even begin to program because Phil can do all kinds of magic on the computer. He's a real good programmer, and that one is one where you start typing and it sort of auto completes almost. Right. Which is yeah, kind of, yeah. Which is super cool, but mm. uh, I can't even attempt. I uh, I did play a little bit of Snail Trek. I actually I I think that's actually where uh, I came across that. But it's more clear. It was more recent in my head watching the uh, Cascade Quest trailer and seeing it from there. I think as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I so I actually kind of forgot that that was a feature in Snail Trek. But yeah, that's such a that's such a really good way to solve the problem that a lot of people had with the parser interface. Mm -hmm. So you've been working on this for four years now. Yes. And uh, that's because you started from scratch, like literally knowing nothing going yes. in. Uh, so do you find that your progress is working is um, a lot faster now? Like, do you find that you can do, do you have a timeline, like an estimate of how much <laughs> more you would need before this is uh, getting close to ready? I like to tell myself I'm getting faster at it. Mm. I, I have a feeling like I am because the thing is, is when I when I got started, I had to, I basically have all the art for the exterior of the lodge and the interior of the lodge. I had to program opening doors, closing doors, turning on the faucet, turning off the faucet, making sure all of that works. Mm -hmm. And now that that's all set, I'm hoping now as I do the story and what the characters are doing and where they are, that'll not take me as long. And because I've learned so much in the process, hopefully... I won't get stuck on certain things. Right. That's that's the hope. So my hope was I realized I needed to have sort of a prototype template, which is what the demo is, of what 
the you know what the game is and how it's built. Mm-hmm. And once I have that, I can go on from that. And hopefully, everything is already built for me, and I can just script things as I need to script them. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no timeline. There, oh, I wish there was a timeline. <laughs> there's no timeline. I'm hoping maybe this time next year. I'm hoping to have other sections because really. I'm kind of thinking of it in sections. I don't know if I'll build it that way, but the game will have day and night cycle like the old Quest for Glory games. Right. Oh, really? So, yeah. So when I when I I've written out the whole story, mm-hmm. of what happens and when it happens, uh, day night day night alternating, and so when I think about how I'm scripting it, I, I feel like scripting it section at a time with just placeholder stuff and then just adding all the assets in later. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have, I don't have a clue how long that's going to take because, like I said, just creating the demo had a lot to do with creating all that stuff that hopefully I only need to do once. Yeah, doors and everything like that. So I I don't I don't have an idea. I feel like the second segment of the game that I build, the one after the demo, will be the one where I'll know how long it will take me to to complete a segment. Right. Uh, because and, then I'll and, have everything in place. Yeah. And as far as I know, it, it's just you. Doing this, all of it. It's yes. you're the you're yes. the one single person who's doing everything. Yes, and I love it. I love it that way because I don't have to give myself excuses, or I can't give myself stick for saying I want you to redo that art for the fifth time, or this didn't fit, so I need to do something else. I would hate to do that to anybody else besides myself. Right, um, especially if they're basically if they would basically be working volunteer. At yes, this point. exactly. Exactly. So you, you never really want to ride anyone too hard when they're kind no. of like giving you their time. Um, yeah, I would feel really bad. I would feel so bad if I was going to do that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the, and of course, the demo I played had uh, had music in it. Yes. Uh, is that also a feature of Adventure Game Studio? That is not. So what that is is there is something online called the Great Canadian Tune Book. Oh. And it is it's about fifty midis. That's this guy orchestrated of old canadian folk songs and it's so cute yeah it's adorable and so the guy's site it said that you can use these if you just give me credit okay these these midi files right so the songs that you hear in the game are canadian i don't know did you guys ever learn canadian folk tales in school at all i mean folk folk songs um i as a canadian i learned just the very basics so um you know frere jaca alouette Mm -hmm. Um, I, I guess Saturday morning cartoons taught me the log driver's waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I don't think I really have any real knowledge of what Canadian folk songs are. We didn't actually mention we're both Canadian. I don't think either. I don't know. No, we, we didn't. We, we are definitely both Canadian. I always, um, forget that there'll be people listening to this who don't know us <laughs> or I, I hope anyways, I hope there'll be people oh, yeah, listening yeah, yeah. to this who don't yeah, yeah. know us. Um, but I do tend to forget to predict that. <laughs> we're both Canadian. We're both Canadian. Uh, I'm Ontario. You're BC, I guess. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Were you, were you born and raised in Ontario? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. So in our school, we had, we had these, each province, has a folk tale, a folk song. I don't know if you know this. You probably don't know this. I absolutely did not know that. There's so few. I don't know if it was just an Ontario thing they did this, but I mean they taught us. You know, so for every province of the of the country, there is a song, and uh, I love those old folk songs. And when I found the Great Canadian Tune Book online, I uh, I saw a lot of those songs that I remembered from middle school and a bunch I had never even heard before. So. 
I wanted to use those. I mean, the thing is, is I'm not a musician. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I mean, people have offered, you know, their musicianship skills to me for it, but I kind of, again, I felt awkward about it because this is not paid. This is completely, I didn't want to do that to anybody. And I also, I, it's cool to do it by yourself because yeah, I make my own schedule. No one's asking me really when this is going to get done. When's that going to get done? I don't have to depend on anyone else. I tend to like that. I like working alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just the idea that there is already ready-made this great library of songs that that I'm hopefully free to use. I think the guy should be okay with it. Um, (laughs) He said he was. He said he was online. Yeah, Uh, there you go. I thought, you know, hey, this is already here for me and it's perfect. So I kind of went with it. Oh, great. Yeah, because I I do remember the music uh, was really quite cool. I, I did like that a lot. And yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was actually wondering uh, what program you might have used to create that or anything like that. But it's just it's just a site that you can you can just find this all on. Hey? Yeah. Oh, well, actually, uh, there's a couple of things that I did do myself. You can probably tell that I made them because they're horrible. Uh, <laughs> the, the death sound, the death music was something I just, you know, it's obviously derived from something that exists already, but it's right. it's. The rhythm is all off on it. So I did find I did find a program that I can sort of make my own little tunes, but it, it's really bad. Uh, <laughs> you'll notice as they come. Yeah. I, I did die once. I found one death so far. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I will be honest, I, I do not really recall what the death sound sounded like, but I remember not... I, I didn't notice it was bad, so I'm going to say it was at the very least not bad. It was at the very least forgettable. And yeah, at the very least. Which is a high compliment for someone who is so not a musician. Actually, I also made the sounds for the opening and closing of the doors and the opening and closing of the cabinets. Okay, cool. Yeah, very, very, very high level stuff. Yeah, and, and it's and just so fascinating that this is all stuff that you're just learning on your own. I, I could awesome. never, I could never do anything like that. Don't say that. I, Don't no, say I mean, that. Of course you could. No, I, I mean, sure, technically I... I have the capacity to do that. I would just, I, I can't imagine myself applying myself that much to doing something well, like that. It, it kind of gets addictive actually. Yeah. I, yeah when I you're figuring something out, you know, because you're figuring something out and you'll be doing it days and it'll be frustrating. And then when you get it to work, mm-hmm. it's this amazing feeling, this amazing high, I guess. And I just love experiencing that. And also saying, you know, you feel really smart, so I kind of like that yeah. feeling too. Like yeah. I, I still only use Photoshop for copying and pasting, <laughs> and even then, I'm not that great at it. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I really just use it to uh, download images and then put a caption over it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I make I make memes with Photoshop. That's the extent of my capacity. That's pretty good still. <laughs> I think they have. I think don't they have some online meme generators? I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, they they do that too. If I if I don't have Photoshop, I will I will use one of those. Um, In a pinch. And so, I, I, of course, I, I've a lot of people, probably most of the people who are listening to this episode, ha- are familiar with a lot of the screenshots that you've posted of this game, um, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I'm you know you've been receiving them, so I'm sure you're aware of like the high compliments that people feel about your work uh, because it is really it is really quite amazing. Like uh, I, I'm believe i've told you in the past that when i saw it i actually thought that these were you were working with assets from actual uh sei ega mm-hmm. games and it and they're not they're they're these are things that you created from scratch entirely yourself yes. so this obviously comes from your background as an illustrator mm-hmm. and uh how and how long have you been a, an illustrator 
uh, let's see. Since I graduated from college, I would say 10 years, just about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, yeah. uh, because you're Canadian, you'll probably be familiar with some of the publications. So right. there is National Post. Yeah. I've worked with them three or four times. Today's Parents, a few times. Uh, let's see. McLean's, I worked for a lot before they stopped using illustration. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was sad. I worked for them about once a month for maybe about seven or eight years. Oh, wow. That's so great. it was great. It was great. And actually, that was that was a super nice gig to have. Um, and I think uh, <clears throat> you mentioned once, or you actually showed once that uh, one of your pieces got into Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How it did that funny. happen? It, it was ridiculous. I would never have known if I didn't actually watch Breaking Bad. So it was an alt <laughs> news weekly. It's an, you know all those little alt news weeklies. Well, they're not around quite as much anymore, but... Uh, did you have Georgia Strait in Vancouver? Or is that a Seattle yes, thing? Yes. No, we, we definitely have Georgia Strait here. Okay. I did a cover for them once. So, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it was a bunch of shrimp. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, all news weeklies. I tended, I, I used to do a, quite a bit of that until they started kind of leveling off and cutting their budgets. But that one was for an alt news weekly called Alibi, based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it just so happened, you know, I would do covers for them or whatever. And, uh, and it was just watching Breaking Bad on Netflix and uh, season four, episode one, I think it was. I it was like four o'clock in the morning. Don't even ask. It was four o'clock in the morning, and and I saw the episode. And I'm like, I yeah, I don't. It was one of those shocks, really. My boyfriend <laughs> was asleep, and I, I just kind of I actually nudged him, and I told him, and I don't think it registered whatsoever. Right. But, uh, <laughs> okay, so you, so they just like had um, a publication that had your work, and they just threw it in there as a prop. It, yeah, it was just set dressing. It was not. It was not yeah. huge, but the thing is, it, it held on it for a few seconds because it was right beside something that was really important and key in the scene. Yeah. So you saw it for a few seconds, and actually, what's funny is they actually digitally retouched the cover. Oh. So someone actually had to go and fix it because it said on the cover, I think, twenty thirteen predictions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some and so they changed the words on the cover to say something that didn't give a year. Oh wow. So I thought, oh my gosh, someone actually had to do something there. That's pretty cool. That, that's so you you didn't even know about it until you actually no! saw it on the screen. No. So they not. probably didn't pay you for that. Of course not. Oh. Of course not. <laughs> Darn. It's, it's cool though. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. I'm just happy that I'd like to think that I'm now a part of the Breaking Bad cinematic universe. And if I ever go to Albuquerque, <laughs> or I can you know I can run into Saul Goodman at one you know what point? Who knows? You know. I get yeah. That feeling. Yeah, no, exactly. They'll, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, Breaking Bad is such a great show, and um, mm. a, a lot of it is their attention to detail. So it wouldn't surprise me if they'll be like, uh, you know, they'll have a subplot somewhere in Better Call Saul where the, <laughs> uh, the artist of that magazine, you know, uh-huh. somehow long foreshadowed the events of what was going to happen two seasons later or something like that. Because it, it did say predictions on the cover after all. Right? Yeah, gotta, there you go. <laughs> I got to get to watching that actually because I, <laughs> I really love Bob Odenkirk. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a, it's a yeah. great show. Um, so and you, so I, I can't remember if you alluded to it earlier, if you just told me before in passing uh, that you, your the Colonel's Bequest is kind of one of your favorite games for its art alone but not so much um you yourself didn't play it quite as uh, extensively or intensively Mm -hmm. as some other games uh what would so what what kind of games do you play like what are your what are some of your favorites well probably the games i play 
the most well first of all i mean without any contest would be world of warcraft right absolutely no contest there but i mean if it was not an mmorpg it, it would have to be probably another role-playing game just offline role-playing game but i played wow for years years mm-hmm. i actually met a lot you know, a few really nice people in real life too so it was really cool to to get that happening we had a guild and everything it was awesome but for for single player games it'd probably be like wizardry 7 or something i played quite a bit of that oh nice come to think of it uh, uh yeah, is that know, the because... uh is that dark savant yes crusade oh, of the dark savant okay yes I owned that for a little bit, but unfortunately I got into that just um, a little bit after I found um, the static screens was kind of not fun anymore. I see. So I I did play a little bit of Wizardry 8. I think that's sort of like the one that kind of ages a little bit better in 2018. But but, man, I wish I still... I I regret it because as a result, I just like pretty much immediately traded it away, traded the, uh, the big box of wizardry Aww. six and seven away and man i really should have kept those because those were awesome and i just uh but they were awesome the thing is is yeah the adventure games were tougher for me than those rpg games the mm-hmm. rpgs tend to be straight more straightforward so i did play quite a lot of that I, well a lot of adventure games you know day of the tentacle Macallan, that type of thing mm-hmm. quite a bit of that too but just arcade games i used to play load runner a lot the old cga load runner yes that's right yeah, I, I, just the simple games, California games, winter games, those all those old epics games. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pinball. I don't know, <laughs> just about everything. Yeah. So, uh, and how about now? What are you like? What What are you playing now? What's your current favorite, or at least current, taking up your time? <laughs> well, right now, actually, I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called West of Loathing. Um, no, I I don't think. I mean, I think that almost sounds familiar, but not really. So what it is, is it's sort of a role-playing game with, it's basically a role-playing game with stick figures and very, very basic black and white line run. Mm, okay. And its strength is, it's Wait, is it only in black and white? Yes. Oh, <laughs> Just okay. line. It's, it's awesome because it reminds me of those old games where, you know, the, the graphics are not you know, elaborate. I would say. I wouldn't even say they're not strong. They are strong, but they're just not elaborate. And so what that means is you can spend more time on the funny writing and the little stories and things That's like right. that, which is what I tend to favor more anyway. Of course. So, yeah, so it's one of those games where you kind of want, you're an old West cowpoke and you're kind of wandering around and writing wrongs and doing whatever you please, really. And, and it's it's a lot of fun and it's super lightweight. I'm actually playing a lot of games on my Surface Pro 2 right now, so I can't do anything too crazy. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, so there's that. There's Stardew Valley, which entering into my third spring, which is when <laughs> Grandpa comes back, and I'm just scared. I, I put that game down for maybe it's been two or three weeks now because everyone reassures me that when Grandpa comes back, it's really cool. But I, I feel like he's gonna judge me. I know that he's not, but you kind of, I kind of <laughs> is that. I know that's weird, but I feel that way about him a little bit. So uh, I'm, I've kind of put that down, and I've started in this West of Loathing game, which I picked up. They had something called. Kingdom of Loathing, which is sort of a browser game. You can just log in and play it. And I quite like that. It was free. And when they had their, uh, they had a sale on it recently because it was the one year anniversary for West of Loathing. And I picked it up and it's super great, super lightweight. I Yeah, the story is, is wonderful and adorable. I find that if the graphics are too elaborate, I just kind of turn off. It's too much for me, really, which is why I tend to favor those classic retro looking games if not a real retro game something that looks like it was it could have been yeah no for sure this is a really good time for that right now there's a lot of really good independent games 
that are coming out that are very very inspired by the classics and you know try their best to really recapture the experience of the old Sierra games, the old LucasArts games, and such like that. So how did you um, uh, so how did you like the Dagger of Amon Ra? Actually, I have the big box of Dagger of Amon Ra. I think somewhere. Uh, I like it. I mean, I think it's a cool. I mean, Robert Williams didn't do Dagger of Amon Ra, but it is a cool game, and it has a lot of the same mechanics that that uh, Colonel's Bequest had. And mm-hmm. I love the setting. I love the time period. I love the art in it. I think it's beautiful. I mean, it was based on some old Art Deco illustrator back in the day, Landecker. And I think what's his name? I can't remember his name. His last name was Landecker. Anyway, mm-hmm. and it was it's gorgeous. It's beautiful, and the and the design that they took with it was was really really nice. So mm-hmm. no, I love it. I think it's a beautiful game, and uh, I can see why people counted among their favorites. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it it really has a very different feel, and I don't think it's entirely just the EGA VGA thing. Uh, it just there's something about it that really kind of, which is cool because you don't really want every single game to feel like you're playing the same game. Uh, and this is one you really felt very different from the Colonel's Bequest. Uh, so between, so do you have a lot of illustration work these days? Not, not really. I mean, I think. I'm primarily an editorial illustrator, which means newspaper and magazines is what I like to work for. And it's, mm-hmm. it tends to be easier to find work in those fields because usually it's a low risk type of endeavor because it, it's on the newsstand, it's off the newsstand. You know, it's around right. for a week or a month and then it's gone. So they don't feel like it's a high level of commitment and, you know, so they don't pay you a lot and it's not around a lot. So they feel like they can take a chance on somebody. Right. Stuff like books and advertising stuff, that is the long haul stuff, which is the big bucks and the big commitments. So it's harder to get that kind of stuff, really. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure everyone's noticed, you know, the state of uh, newspapers and magazines nowadays. Yeah. Where the ad revenue is just, you know, going down and, and those magazines are getting skinnier and skinnier, really. Yeah, so that's right. Budgets are going down, art departments are getting cut, that type of thing. So it's... It, which is what happened to McLean's, really, I think, because they they don't uh, they they used to be a weekly publication and now they are a monthly publication. Well, they have digital editions that come out every week, but they only have a physical publication every month, and then they still don't do illustration for that monthly one. So oh right, so they don't so do any at all anymore. It doesn't seem like it. No, I don't think so. And also, mm-hmm. like I said before, all those alt news weeklies they have been kind of shriveling up and dying too. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that I used to do is just not around anymore, right. unfortunately. So that's so, why, you know, that's another reason why the game is something I want to really get myself into. Yeah. So do, does that, uh, so you probably use all that, most of that time goes into uh, spending with the game then? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, sometimes I'll get stuck for days trying to figure something out, but mm-hmm. it's not been like that as much anymore right now so right now it's i've just been retooling some of the artwork and then i have to i have to get started on the next segment of the game i think mm-hmm. yeah so I, I mean it's picked up because i used to be busier so it's probably it's a good thing and a bad thing um but yeah i i mean i i think that's about all the time we have for now but is there is there anything you'd like to close off on is there anything you'd like to uh, shout out before we sign out Ooh. uh not off the top of my head. I just want to say thanks for having me. This was awesome. I was a little nervous. Well, I was pretty nervous coming into it, but it was it was nice. I was wondering 
what the rapport would be like because mm-hmm. we'd never spoken really before this. But it was no, it was awesome. I had a really good time. Hope we can do it again. I don't know what we're going to talk about though because we covered everything. <laughs> anyway, oh, well, but it was fun. It was yeah. Fun. Oh, don't worry. You, you, you will definitely. We will definitely be uh, keeping in touch for sure. Uh, so I guess that's it for today. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and join us. Uh, well, to be honest, I'm not sure if this is going to be weekly or biweekly just yet, <laughs> but um, we will definitely let you know when the next episode is up and who will be on that show. So uh, thanks, to everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.